Special thanks to podwires.com. Know the latest podcast in job news before others. Coming up next on Explain Why Podcast. Parents who are waking up to see the bodies of their children. So whilst there is no question that Hamas must uh, release the hostages, they must not mistreat individuals. Everything that Hamas did and continues to do with respect to civilians, holding civilians, attacking civilians is wrong. But none of that, none of that justifies this attack by Israel. And let's just remember, Israel is one of the most advanced militaries on earth. And they're attacking an, a people who essentially have nothing other than the other than what is being provided to them. And obviously, as we've said, Hamas is, whatever Hamas has done in relation to civilians is wrong, is unlawful, are war crimes and continues to be. But this is an onslaught that we haven't seen. And that is quite significant because the onslaughts that we saw in 214 and in other conflicts were really serious. We've never seen anything like this. So really from, from what we're seeing on the ground, this is an unfolding catastrophe. Uh, the likely continuation of atrocities. And we're saying to states that it's just not good enough. You know, Biden's remarks are not good enough. Sunak's remarks are not good enough. If you care about civilians, as you say you do, what you're doing and saying is just not sufficient. And, and history will remember you for this. Welcome to Explain Why Podcast. This is Mika Santos. This podcast features enlightenment discussion with professionals to explain pressing issue and provide pertinent facts about unbiased journalism, encountering misinformation and in-depth conversation with experts. In this episode of Explain Why podcast, we talk about the ongoing conflict in Gaza and the devastating impact it had on lives of Palestinians and Israel. Join me as we delves into the legal framework and ways in which parties can be held accountable for violating human rights during these conflicts. Our guest, Yasmin Hamad, the UK Director of Human Rights Watch, bring her two decades of experience as a public international lawyer and human rights advocate to shed the light on the situation. Don't miss this important discussion on need of peace, justice, and respect for human rights in the region. Now, let's dive in. Director of Human Rights Watch in UK, Dr. Director Yasmin Hamad. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for very much for having me on. Thank you so much for that. It's been it's been a busy busy day. A lots of happening in Israel and Gaza. Let's my first question to you is what triggered this violence? Well, I think we we, we First of all, should note that the before I go into what maybe triggered the violence, um, note that obviously the current escalation of hostilities arose from Hamas attacked civilians in Israel and in fact killed over a thousand civilians and there are currently Israeli hostages in Gaza. Um, Human Rights Watch has been clear that that is a war crime um, and has utterly condemned what Hamas has done. Um, as you note, and as you noted in your introduction, uh, Israel has responded to that in relation to this particular incident uh, in an unprecedented manner. 
it has, as you as you and your listeners will know, imposed an absolute siege. There now is a tiny crack in that siege, but in terms of being able to get some humanitarian assistance through, but it is nowhere near enough. And what is that siege? That is siege means that essentially after over 16 years of being completely blockaded into Gaza by Israel, the people of Gaza now have no access to, from the outside, to food, water, fuel, medicines, other than the trickle that has been allowed in in the last few days. It has been absolutely catastrophic. I mean, I think many people have seen the images. People are unable to leave Gaza. They are in an occupied territory that has been blockaded and continues to be blockaded. This is a tiny strip of land. And we have been very clear that Israel, both as an occupying power, because it occupies the Palestinian territories, including the West Bank and Gaza, has a responsibility towards those it occupies. And it certainly cannot be doing this. And we've been very clear that what it has been doing in the siege is a form of collective punishment of the people in the Gaza Strip, which is a war crime. Um, We're very clear that war crimes on one side do not justify crimes on the other. I will, if if I may, speak to the broader context within which this conflict is happening. I think it's very important, and as we've seen, the UN, uh, the, 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 the UN uh, the chief of the human of the United Nations, Guterres, has come out just the, in the last few days, and has, as human rights organisations, including Human Rights Watch, but many in Israel and in Palestine, been saying that this violence is not happening in a vacuum, and that is very important. It does in no way justify violence. We have been very clear: war crimes have been committed on both sides, and they should be. Uh, investigated and there should be accountability but it does not happen in a vacuum so where what what is the context within which this happens this has been over half a century of a violent occupation by israel of the palestinian people it's an occupation which human rights watch came out in 2021 and made a clear determination, which reflects what Amnesty International has said and many organisations on the ground, Israeli human rights organisations and Palestinian human rights organisations, that in fact amounts to the crime against humanity of apartheid and persecution. And what what that means essentially is, is that Israel has a a policy, a government policy, to ensure that the Jewish people in Israel Uh, in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories dominate over the Palestinians. And the way that's given effect to, and that's in a multiplicity of statements by the Israeli government, and that's given effect to in numerous ways, in this complete suppression of civil and political rights of Palestinians, in the enlarging, we've seen that even in the last couple of weeks since this, this, in the context of this current escalation, the enlarging of settlements, which is unlawful under international law, where Israel has been pushing settlements into the the tiny area that that the Palestinians now have in the occupied territories are now being diminished by virtue of being kicked off that land by settlers from Israel, which in itself is a war crime as well. 
So what we have seen is, is decades, over half a century, of suppression, of violent suppression of Palestinians, including the denial of the right to return of refugees who in 1947 and in the 60s, Palestinians who were pushed off their land and who have continually been denied the right to return. And it should be noted that in Gaza, over 70% of the people in Gaza are refugees from being kicked off by Israel, from being expelled by Israel and have not been able to return to their land. So I think it's very, very important to, in principle, absolutely say, and we say very clearly, that no, nothing justifies violence against civilians. Absolutely nothing. But this has not happened in a vacuum. And why that's so important, I would say, is because for all the talk of peace, and we have every single politician we have heard to date, has talked about the imperative to revive the peace process, for there to be peace so that civilians do not continue to suffer. There can never, ever be peace without human rights. There cannot be peace when a people are subjected to a system of apartheid. If countries like the US, the UK and Australia are in fact concerned about peace, as they say they are, then they should be looking very clearly, first of all, obviously, condemning the acts that have happened in the last few weeks, but looking at systemic oppression that Palestinians have been living under. Can you explain to, to us what, what is the legal, legal frameworks and ways that the parties can be held responsible for violating human rights during during these conflicts? Sure. So the, the there are two bodies of law which apply more generally and particularly in times of conflict and occupation. So first I'll talk to you about the situation that applies when hostilities don't rise to the level, haven't risen to the level where we've seen now. And that I'll talk about that. But I'd like to speak first of all about the situation that exists just on an ongoing basis in uh, Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. By virtue of being an occupying power, Israel has obligations under a body of law called international humanitarian law. They also have obligations under international human rights law. So there's two bodies of law. So that applies when they are, and all of the actions that they do, Israel does, within Israel proper, uh, within the Green Line, as well as within the occupied territories. So what we've seen, for example, is the, um, the movement of their population, of the Israeli population, into uh, the occupied Palestinian territories and thus displacing Palestinians from their land And that we see that happening through the form for the expansion of settlements, which have continued and expanded in the occupied Palestinian territories, which means that Palestinians are displaced off their land. That in and of itself is, in fact, a violation of this body called international humanitarian law and, in fact, amounts to a war crime. There are also human rights obligations that exist, as well as IHL obligations, international humanitarian obligations, that apply to how you treat people who are under occupation. 
So we've seen in Israel, in, in the occupied Palestinian territories, for example, many Palestinians have been killed, have been indefinitely detained. Many of them have been detained in, uh, yeah, under administrative detention where they have, there have been no charges laid against them, where they're indefinitely detained. We've seen activists, human rights activists, media, other people detained without even having a charge against them. So what we know is there's been a wholesale suppression of human rights of Palestinian people, as well as uh, violations of international humanitarian law, which have been happening persistently against the Palestinian people. I'll then move from when, so this, this law continues to apply, but when we then rise to a level of conflict, as we have seen in the last two weeks, and that periodically applies, international humanitarian law continues to apply, but there are other rules that will be very relevant to deciding the legality of what happens. So international humanitarian law applies to what is happening in Gaza and certainly also applies to what Hamas did in Israel. And those laws are relatively clear. The international humanitarian law, the basis of that law, says that the war and violence does happen and can happen, but should be restricted to those that are actively participating in hostilities or are part of the armed forces or where there is legitimate military targets. Essentially, violence should be against the military against each other. It should not impact civilians or unduly and indiscriminately or disproportionately impact civilians. That is really the fundamental premise of international humanitarian law. So what does it say and what's relevant to the current conflict? So first of all, as an occupying power under international humanitarian law, Israel has an obligation because it occupies Gaza and in fact has blockaded Gaza, which is unlawful has an obligation to ensure the welfare of people that are within its occupied territories. So what we've seen is the absolute opposite of that. We've seen them cutting off essential humanitarian goods for the very live people are in hospitals now who do not have medicine. There are burns patients who do not have dressing. There are decisions being made about which Life support, you might need to turn off because there's not enough fuel to keep them going. Babies in incubators, you may not be able to be sustained. I mean, it is unbelievable where there is a lack, an absolute lack of drinking water. And we're very concerned about waterborne diseases, as well as just the ability to keep hydrated. And obviously issues around food, electricity, so on and so forth. That, under international humanitarian law, is a war crime because it's collective punishment against a people. What Hamas did is also a war crime under international humanitarian law because they directly targeted and killed civilians, which is undoubtedly a war crime. What is also really important and what we're seeing in the context of Gaza right now is that in the context of, of warfare, as I noted, it is legitimate to target a military installation or people who are fighting. So Hamas, it is legitimate for Israel to target Hamas. But let's just put this in context. The Gaza Strip is a tiny, it's one of the most densely populated areas of land in the world. It's tiny. And what we have seen, not just now, but in previous 2021, 2014, so on and so forth, is the use of weapons 
that it's very uh, explosive weapons in highly densely populated areas where it is almost impossible to be discriminate. It is, we've also seen the direct targeting of civilian infrastructure. In previous conflicts, we've made very clear that there was, when we did our investigations, there was no military, legitimate military target. And in other instances, where it was absolutely disproportionate, the impact on civilians, the killing of civilians. So we are very, very concerned as Human Rights Watch that what we're seeing is a replication of what Israel has done repeatedly, which in previous conflicts has meant indiscriminately using weapons that mean they, they don't discriminate against the military and civilian targets. That, that they do not provide for a proportionate response, that the, the, the killing of civilians is disproportionate to the military objective. We've seen hospitals, schools, UN facilities, both in previous conflicts and in current conflicts, being attacked by Israel. So I think we're very, very concerned that we are, what we are seeing now, and, and obviously there's the ground uh, troops are, are massing on the border. And what we've also heard from Israel from if you just look at the litany of statements that not only have come out previously, but now since the Hamas attack, they have been very, very clear about what their intention is. And their intention is clear that they are going to change the landscape of Gaza, that they feel that the individuals in Gaza have supported Hamas. And therefore, they are very, very clear that this is about changing the, the entire landscape. And we've already seen a massive amount of civilian infrastructure being completely decimated, completely decimated in Gaza. So I think it's very important to just re, to, to recall that the laws of war, international humanitarian law, which are, very, which are obviously relevant in this context, have not been complied with by Israel previously, uh, have been breached by Israel in this current context, and have certainly also been breached by Hamas. And I should also add that Hamas's attacks using rockets that go into Israel are also indiscriminate and therefore a violation of international humanitarian law and a war crimes as well. So you're saying, um, Yasmin, there have been breaches of this uh, international human rights law previously, conflict, and then today. What happened on the previous one? Did we do something about account accountability because this is again another conflict again yes i mean it's a it's a it's a very very good question because what we've seen again and again uh not only in israel and palestine but in myanmar in ethiopia in sudan across the world is that when there is when there is impunity there is a cycle of violence people are impugned from from accountability and we see violence continuing and continuing, and in fact, escalating, and that's what we've seen in this context. So in terms of what does accountability, what does it meant to actually look like? So international criminal law is our vehicle through which we look at accountability, and also domestic criminal law. Now, the idea is, is that states themselves, so Israel, are meant to have independent investigations after the incident and as soon as possible after an incident, but they gather the evidence and they assess whether their armies, whether their, the people, their individuals have in fact complied with international humanitarian law, have in fact committed crimes. 
So international humanitarian law sets out a, a, a range of, of, of abuses, of violations that are so serious that they amount to war crimes. And it is imperative that states are meant to do independent and effective investigations to determine whether their armies and their in individuals are acting on their behalf have carried out violations of international humanitarian law and war crimes and also human rights violations. What we have seen in the context of Israel is ineffective investigations again and again. You look at 2014, you've got 2021 again and again investigations and it's not just human rights watch is saying that we've seen the un have said that and many other international bodies and organizations have said that there have not been effective investigations so what's the next point of call if the country themselves won't investigate their own um their own their own army their own military for crimes that may have been committed in violations so the next step is meant to be other states doing that other states saying if there is an Israeli or, in fact, a Hamas individual that comes onto our territory, that we can exercise what we call universal jurisdiction. We can prosecute people for certain really heinous crimes. But we've seen that states have been mostly in relation to Israel unwilling to do that. And obviously there is a lot of political reasons which lie behind that. So our last point of call is the International Criminal Court. And in 2021, the International Criminal Court opened an investigation to crimes that are being committed in the occupied Palestinian territories. And why is it only in the occupied Palestinian territories? Because Israel is not a signatory. Israel refuses to be a signatory to the International Criminal Court, to the Rome Statute. Palestine has signed up and has been recognised by the ICC as a signatory so therefore, any acts that happen in the occupied Palestinian territories are what we call within the jurisdiction. The court can look at them. So what we're seeing now is the court has an open investigation and has confirmed that they will be looking at events from 2014 to the current day, including the incidences that happened in Israel, that happened in the occupied Palestinian territories. Um, and, and also those, those uh, crimes that have been committed by Hamas. So we are calling on the International Criminal Court to ensure that they prioritise this investigation. It will then be obviously difficult because in order for individuals to be sent to the International Criminal Court for any, for any um, prosecutions, uh, Israel would have to hand over those individuals unless they were handed over in some other way. So we know that Israel has tried to block any investigations by the ICC. And we also know that the UK, for example, the US, who is also not a signatory, have also tried to undermine those investigations and accountability. So again, what I would say is that we have set up as an international community structures, laws to provide for accountability. But if states are not willing to get behind them, if they put politics and their own interests before accountability, before human rights, before um, international humanitarian law, then we are not going to see accountability and we will see violence continuing. And so really what it says to me is that when governments speak about peace, they speak in absolute hollow terms because there is no peace without accountability. There is no peace without human rights. And if they continue to block accountability, then they are not talking legitimately about peace. Well, very well said. So aside from being... How hard as a human rights um, organization like like Human Rights like Human Rights Watch 
who documented this violation and gave that to the authority, proper authority. Yes, yeah, so we use a range of methods to to uh, to document crimes and violations of international humanitarian law and international human rights law. So obviously, we are um, where possible. We will be on the ground doing research with individuals on the ground, um, and we're doing that um, in the current context. Uh, we also obviously speak to individuals. Um, through other means as well. When we can't be there on the ground, we will talk to a range of individuals. We always seek, obviously, to collaborate any um, any allegations that we hear, uh, any evidence that we gather. Um, so we will do, like we have in all other conflicts, we will speak to people who are on the ground. We obviously also speak to authorities to get their side of what, what happened and what the situation is. We also use and increasingly use um, uh, uh, open source material as well, um, including satellite imagery and other open source material that's available to us to assess and analyze. So, for example, we um, issued a, a press release, I think it was in the form of a press release, in, it would have been about a week ago now, that we verified the use by Israel of white phosphorus. And white phosphorus is a kind of... Um, a kind of chemical that is used in the context of warfare, and there are there are reasons why it's, it's used. Um, for example, they use it as a means of creating some kind of a smoke screen when you're trying when you're attacking, for example, a military target. Um, so there are reasons that, that you would use it, and it essentially creates a sort of white uh, sort of haze and mist. But white phosphorus, when it touches oxygen, also becomes a burning agent and it creates severe burns on individuals. So it is clear that white phosphorus should never, ever be used in a densely populated area like Gaza. And the way that we did that, so we spoke to individuals who saw a number of individuals, so we corroborated the evidence, a number of individuals who saw what they said in the context of an attack was white phosphorus. And we know that, by the way, that it smells, the way it looks, and obviously its impact. But then we also used um, other open source material to verify that, the, um, that what was used, in fact, was consistent with um, uh, the use of white phosphorus. So we will collaborate through other means to verify, for example, that the munitions that are used, the way that it's used, is in fact consistent with that particular weaponry and that particular chemical. So that's the way that we, we do things, but it's very thorough. Um, we use a number of different sources and we obviously always corroborate what we find. So earlier, uh, UN Secretary-General have uh, made a statement about he slammed the Gaza bombardment and Israel said they will not agree with the statement and possible to refuse visa for the UN official to go to that area. What is your opinion and comment about this? Well, I, mean, I think it's really important for the rules-based international order that we have. After the Second World War, the world sat back and the major powers in the world sat back and said we can never ever allow this to happen again. So we need a rules-based international order. We need the UN, the UN Charter, we need international humanitarian law, human rights law, we need 
all states to comply with these norms and laws. And if we don't, we undermine the trying to push them in every other context. And what I mean by that is, for example, now all states, the UN, rightly are calling out Russia's aggression and Russia's continued commission of violations of international humanitarian law and human rights law. We as Human Rights Watch have documented that, the number of bodies across the world. It is critical for the integrity of this international system, which really relies on states committing to it, that in one context states say something, like for example in the context of Russia, and then yet in another context, in the context of Israel for example, they are mostly silent. And so it was critical that the UN has come out and just as they did in the context of Russia, they have spoken very clearly that Israel must comply with international law, that it is not lawful for them to collectively punish a population. And as they said, it is very important that we see this violence, no way justify it, but we see it in the context of over half a century of oppression and violence against the Palestinian people. Now, what Israel is trying to do in saying what they're doing, if I, 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 I saw the video of the ambassador, they're trying to undermine the rules-based international order by saying that we are an exception to that, that the UN and other states should not be condemning us because we somehow have an exceptional past. And what I would say to that, it is critical that the UN and other states say that no one has a pass because once one state has a pass, then everyone gets a pass and the integrity of the international rules-based order crumbles. So really, and, and to be honest, this is not the first time that, the, that Israel has done that. Israel has refused to allow the UN, um, for example, in, in previous uh, conflicts, the UN Human Rights Council established a commissions of inquiry into um, so that they would investigate what happened in, in the previous context of violence in Gaza. In those contexts, the UN, the Israel has refused to allow the UN into areas where there was conflict. They have refused to um, cooperate with the UN and any independent investigation. So really this is not in any way new for how Israel approaches these situations, but it should be said very, very clearly, and I have been making it clear to diplomats that I've been speaking to, that it must be, we, it is incredibly important for not just this situation, but for all states and in all situations that we resist Israel's attempt to undermine the integrity of the rules-based international order. Thank you for that. What is the latest situation that you um, in in Gaza right now based from your team? Mm, yeah, so I mean it is, It is devastating and catastrophic, and I can't, I can't repeat that many more times than I have. I mean, I think people who are listening to your podcast and yourself will only have to see the pictures themselves in Gaza to see the devastation. Um, over 6,000 civilians are now dead, a quarter of whom are children. We are going to see that rise. And let's just be clear, that's 6,000 civilians dead in a number of days. That will increase, particularly as the bombardments increase. We're also seeing, as we've noted, an absolute catastrophic situation from a humanitarian perspective. 
there is just not enough hospitals, just infrastructure now, given that hospitals have been bombed, to in fact treat patients. They're having to push people away. Even the individuals who get in to be treated do not have anaesthetics, medicine. We said there's no fuel. So there is a very serious danger of the of life support, of incubators, of all of the machinery that's necessary to keep people alive. Um, there's very risk, a very real risk of that running out. So just from a medical perspective, it is an absolute catastrophe what we're seeing, and it is going to continue. It's atrocities. There's no question that this is atrocities. Then we're seeing a shortage of water, and, again, that relates not only to um, hydration, but we're also seeing the possibility of waterborne diseases because there's not desalination because of the fact that there's no fuel going in. So people are running out of water. They will be drinking dirty water to keep alive. So we know that the food is is soon running out. We know people, bakeries, there's nothing in the shops. There's nothing in bakeries. I mean, it. I don't, I don't think I can say strongly enough that what we're what we're witnessing is is a catastrophe unfolding before our eyes, and we can see it. The international community can see it. Humanitarian organisations, the UN, are screaming at the top of their lungs in the way that they can to say that this cannot continue. And yet Israel, it's not a humanitarian catastrophe that's happening by nature. This is happening. This is Israel's created humanitarian catastrophe. Over 80% of the people in the Gaza Strip rely on humanitarian aid. And this is a humanitarian catastrophe and they can't leave. Let's just be clear, like no one can get out. It is they're imprisoned in this area. So we are very, very concerned. We also know the whole families have been annihilated. We know that every single day family members of our staff are going to bed, not knowing if they will wake up. And this is not dramatic. It's very clear that people may not wake up in the morning, that entire families are in apartments together, 40 members of families. And when that apartment is targeted, the entire family is annihilated. We're seeing children who are waking up with no parents, parents who are waking up to see the bodies of their children. So whilst there is no question that Hamas must uh, release the hostages, they must not mistreat individuals. Everything that Hamas did and continues to do with respect to civilians, holding civilians, attacking civilians is wrong. But none of that None of that justifies this attack by Israel. And let's just remember, Israel is one of the most advanced militaries on earth. And they're attacking people who essentially have nothing other other than what is being provided to them. And obviously, as we've said, Hamas is, whatever Hamas has done in relation to civilians is wrong, is unlawful, are war crimes and continues to be. But this is an onslaught like we haven't seen, and that is quite significant because the onslaughts that we saw in 214 and in other conflicts were really serious. We've never seen anything like this. So really from, from what we're seeing on the ground, this is an unfolding catastrophe, uh, the likely continuation of atrocities, and we're saying to states that it's just not good enough. You know, Biden's remarks are not good enough. Sunak's remarks are not good enough. If you care about civilians as you say you do what you're doing and saying is just not sufficient and and history will remember you for this
So you're saying to us, yeah, so as of now, the latest report that 15 of the 35 hospital is already shut down because of lack of fuel, lack of supply. And um, what you think about, so they, on the United Nations, they keep on doing a resolution. I think there's already three resolution already filed, but it was veto and one resolution from Russia as well as is also veto. What what do you think will be happening in UN? I think they're not able to come up a resolution for all of this. Yeah, well, I mean, I think importantly to remember that the UN is made up of states, of member states, and the Security Council, as we know, which is the kind of the, the highest governing body of UN, is also made up of a select range of states, including the P5, the permanent members. Now, the P5, the permanent members, uh, have the ability to veto resolutions. And what we saw uh, last week was the US, unconscionably, I would say, vetoed a resolution. And in that resolution, it it, it not only uh, condemned what Israel is doing in the blockade, but it also condemned what Hamas did and continues to do. It it, it, It called for humanitarian access and other absolutely critical things that in relation to this and 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 it also called for a ceasefire now human rights watch we don't specifically talk to the question of ceasefire because we document the abuses that are happening in the context of the conflict and ask states to comply with those laws but it's just unbelievable to think that the us vetoed a resolution which could have required the cessation of hostilities, which could would have required both Hamas and Israel to comply with international law. And is and, and the US vetoed that. The U, the UK very, very poorly also abstained from that resolution. Now, as a result of that, the US have come back with another resolution, but that is unlikely to be successful. And what we are seeing is the UN General Assembly, which is the body which is made up of all of the states in the world, coming together and now saying that we need to take action. The UN General Assembly does not have the powers of the Security Council, but it is very important that we see the world collectively coming together and saying that we as a collective group of states in the world are saying no to this. It will not have the power to stop things, but I think it is important that it's doing it nonetheless. But let's just be clear that there is a failure on in terms of how the United Nations and how the Security Council operates when it essentially will not and, and, and refuses by virtue of the US to act in situations like this where we have seen 6,000 civilians already dead, Palestinian civilians. We've already seen over 1,300 Israeli civilians dead, and yet it will not act. And so I think there is serious questions and that have been running constantly. And what we see is the politicisation of the Security Council constantly in relation to a range of different issues, whether that's in relation to the Ukraine or um, Xinjiang in China or a range of issues where the UN is impotent to respond because of the member states that sit on these bodies. Thank you for that, uh, Yasmin. So, one more question before we wrap up the the show: What part do the media and propaganda play 
in how people think about this violation of human rights in this conflict? I it's a very very good question. I think narrative, I would call it narrative is more critical in this conflict or has been more powerful in the context of Israel Palestine than in any other conflict I've seen I've worked on in my two decades of working as a human rights and international lawyer. It is critical because obviously the way the world sees victims is through the lens. They can't go into Gaza and they cannot go into Israel. They're not in the occupied Palestinian territories. So the way that we understand, the majority of the world understands what is happening is through the lens of the media and is through the lens of the narrative that is allowed to be heard and it is prioritized by the media as well. And I think what we have seen today is a failure, a whole scale failure on behalf of the the media and the world community really to elevate the the voices and the experiences of Palestinians not just in this current context but over the last half century of the brutal occupation that they have endured when we hear about things and when we what what we hear about and the way things are explained are incredibly important in this current conflict for example i've seen very very little analysis which speaks about the broader context within which this conflict is happening and that is incredibly important because the decontextualization of the treatment of the palestinian renders their suffering and the violence that they have endured as almost like it does not exist and what it does mean is that this is seen out of context this is seen as something that's just arisen whereas that's not the case so i think it is very important that the media and that the general community whilst we absolutely have to speak to the facts that are happening on the ground as we speak and i think it's incredibly important that we're seeing what's happening in gaza now and that we continue to focus because it's not just the massacre that had happened against israeli civilians but it's the continued holding of hostages unlawfully as war crime by hamas now we need to see that but this needs to be contextualized we need to see for example when israel speaks about needing to uh, eliminate hamas What about the West Bank? Why is no one asking about the West Bank? There's no Hamas in the West Bank. And yet we're still seeing unprecedented levels of violence against Palestinians in the West Bank. We've seen levels of violence since the beginning of this year that are unprecedented in the West Bank against Palestinians. We're seeing hundreds of Palestinians who are unlawfully or who are indefinitely detained by Israel in the West Bank. We're seeing the increasing of settlements in this West Bank in the time that this conflict has, this current escalation has happened. We've seen expansion of settlements in Palestinian territories by Israeli settlers, and which is supported by violent, you know, violent expansion supported by the Israeli government. That needs to be part of this story. Um, it is really critical, and I, why I say it, it needs to be part of the story more than anything, it's not to say. one victim is more important than the other this is absolutely not the case but why it's important is because we will never be able to find a way to peace 
we will never be able to find a way to moving forward from this unacceptable situation until we see the whole picture. And I think it's very critical that the media pays a part in ensuring that that picture is seen. Parting word, uh, Yasmin, before we close our show. Um, just the parting word from me is thank you very much for providing uh, the ability for us to speak about this this issue. Um, and I would just encourage anyone who's listening now to make sure that they stay informed as to what the situation is. And I would also encourage people to be speaking up, to be writing wherever you are in the world, to be writing to your MPs and and letting your voice be heard about the situation because I think we all need to mobilise individually and we can because we have representatives in every country we live in to ensure that our voice is heard and that our governments respond appropriately. Um, but thank you for, for providing me a platform. Please ensure that, you know, I would just call on everyone who's speaking to their MPs, who is writing, who is is activated to just say that the rules-based international order by every strait is absolutely critical because it's not just the lives of Palestinians and Israelis who are in the balance. It's in fact all of us. It's the the, the kind of the world that we see today is in the balance. Thank you so much for that. The Human Rights uh, Watch UK Director Yasmin Hamid, that, thank you so much for your time. I know it's been a busy, busy day, hectic schedule on your end, and you have time to show to be interviewed in our show. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you so much for UK Director Yasmin Hamad for for this interview. So, as I said, it been unprecedented about this happening in Gaza war. So as of now, it's at least, as I said, at least 6,000 Palestinians has been killed in Israel attack on Gaza. And while more than 1,400 people killed in Israel since October 7. And Qatar also now negotiation on going with Hamas to free more captives and appeal for grow for a humanitarian post to allow delivery of emergency supplies in Gaza amid Israel bombardment. It's been unprecedented. It's been sad that this is happening to us today, to Palestinian and Israel. Please keep, please pray for them and keep them safe. And that's it for today's episode. And we'll see you again for another interesting episode and issue that we can tackle thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the day and this is Mika Santos from explain why thank you see ya <music>